electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Keynote by CNBC Events. I'm Tyler Matheson. On this podcast, we bring you in-depth, candid conversations with executives, experts, and thought leaders. Today, you'll hear from Stuart Butterfield, co-founder and CEO of Slack, about the future of hybrid work as some employees shift back to some sort of return to the office. Butterfield spoke with my colleague Deidre Bosa at CNBC's Work Livestream on April 27, 2022, about hybrid work, maximizing productivity, and minimizing burnout. Here's our conversation. This month, Slack released its latest Pulse report entitled, Inflexible Return to Office Policies Are Hammering Employee Experience Scores. Here's a direct quote from this report. New data shows work-related stress and anxiety is skyrocketing among full-time office workers and those without schedule flexibility. Stuart, welcome back. Hey, nice to see you. I know we, even at the beginning of the pandemic, we were figuring out the work from home thing and we were doing interviews on TV, from attics, from cabins. Uh, So here we are two hours later. What now is Slack's hybrid policy? How is that working out? What kind of feedback are you hearing in these still early stages, I suppose? Well, we haven't made any uh, requests or demands that people return to the office. So we're kind of in the in the same position, uh, maybe not that we were since the last time I spoke to you, because last time I spoke to you, I think we were planning to return to work in September 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's kind of changed multiple times. <laughs> it, it, it did, although I think we probably realized maybe six months or so in, um, that no matter what, we weren't going to go back to the same situation. And at this point, it seems a little strange, to be honest. You know, we're like two plus years in. Uh, and it definitely feels like there's there's people who think, like, we're going to go back any day now. Like, there's there's some moment that's coming when we, when we shift backwards. I just can't see that ever occurring. I mean, first of all, we've hired thousands of people who are in locations where we don't have an office at all. So you know, mm-hmm. for them, it's just not possible. But I think for most people, the, the idea of like a, a Monday to Friday, nine to five is the thing that they want least. Mm-hmm. Now, Stuart, I know that you're in New York at the moment, but you're usually based in San Francisco. And I was recently in New York and I really did feel this difference between the two cities. In San Francisco, it's easier for tech companies to tell employees that they can work from home or have a remote or a hybrid workforce. Um, on Wall Street, though, it is a little bit different. And you hear about the banks in particular wanting their employees back in the office. And to the point that we started on, it's kind of causing anxiety, right? How do you figure out the right way to do this? Well, well, you know, we look at um, what people say that they want, and the, what they say they want is a little under 80% want flexibility in location, a little bit more than 90% want flexibility in time, and I think that's really the, the biggest issue. Uh, most people don't like commutes. You know, you do hear about some people who appreciate the time to read a book on the train or to kind of check out from regular life while they're driving. I don't think it's so much the commute, though. It's the it's the nine to five. It's the not being yeah. able to uh, spend time with your kids when you want to or get exercise. If they're the kind of person who likes to wake up really early or stay up really late or needs to get uh, you know have a nap or something like that. Now that you're used to that ability, it's it's very difficult to take it away. And you know, I think 
the behaviors that we care about are often binary, like the employee stays or they go. Um, but the inputs are continuous. So that mm -hmm. old expression about the straw that breaks the camel's back is, is really true. The great resignation is a thing. Mm -hmm. People are turned over. A lot of people have found that they change jobs and they're not actually happier. Yeah. Um, but that, that churn is really real. And so I think given the competition for talent and the kind of the crises of attrition that most companies are already facing, it would be really foolish to put one more straw on that mm -hmm. camel's back. That's a great point. We've seen the talent war change so much over the last few years. Something I think is interesting is this difference between a hybrid work strategy or a remote first or remote only. And some people say that actually a hybrid can put you at a disadvantage because there's some people who are coming in and some people who choose not to. Whereas if you have a remote first or remote mm -hmm. only strategy, that's sort of more fair, more level. Yeah, and I think ultimately they are going to be or at least we intend to be remote first, um, not remote only, because I think there is real value for people getting together in person, you know, establishing relationships, building trust and all of that. But thinking of the physical space that the company has, the office, as like a resource that, that teams and employees can use to kind of advance their work as opposed to a place that they have to be, because, mm -hmm. the you know, the by square footage, the office was mostly devoted to just kind of desking for people to sit and use their laptops by themselves and not talk to anyone, that part they can do from anywhere. Yeah. Um, I want to get to some of these questions. There's a really good one. Um, it was anonymous, but I know that you guys have done at Slack a number of studies, looked at the data behind this new way of working. So there's a question, is there any data to show what kind of characteristics that CEOs have, the ones that want workers to be in the office versus the CEOs that are embracing flexibility? You know, I don't have data on that. I mean, obviously, my subjective impression is there's a, a one axis is, is age. So the older mm. uh, CEOs definitely, uh, I think, you know, they have more decades of experience and habit that are built up around office culture. And so they, they uh, have a stronger preference. The other one, I think, is like kind of progressiveness of the of the industry. And I don't mean that on a, like a liberal conservative spectrum, but more uh, how dynamic the, the overall space is and, and technology compared to finance, much less regulated, much newer. Um, and, and so you see a little bit more tolerance for newer policies there. Right. The, yeah, I'll leave it there. So then are there degrees of, you know, what kind of industry, what kind of company a hybrid work strategy works for? Would you say that banks risk losing talent to tech companies or do you think that this is the right strategy for them it could be to have off to have workers back in the office five days a week it could be you know like the a nice thing um about the like the really quiet days of the pandemic is you're able to reach out to people much easier and i actually ended up having breakfast with david solomon ceo of goldman sachs mm. this is probably a year ago and he actually made a pretty compelling case you know one in one in person that they have 5000 interns who start every summer part of the experience of that is is getting to meet with the older um, partners and, and to spend time and kind of get acculturated. They also hire an enormous incoming class of which they expect most people to leave. And that's kind of part of their strategy. Mm -hmm. Those those employees go to other consulting firms, other banks, um, and, uh, and that's kind of a network of relationships that they can rely on. And that too kind of is much better in person. However, 
they do compete for software developers, uh, and yeah. every every industry, every company is becoming more and more dependent on software. And there's just an enormous advantage when you can say to someone, you know, here the work you're doing is about equally interesting, the pay is about uh, equally attractive. In one position, you don't have the flexibility; you have to come into the office every day. In the other one, you have the flexibility; you can come as much as you want. I mean, it, it, no one is going to choose the first one. So you said that Solomon, the CEO of Goldman Sachs, made a pretty compelling argument. Did he manage to convince you? I don't know. You were kind of getting at that. Doesn't sound like it. Yeah, I, I think there's probably other ways to achieve the same thing, and it's more like a, a periodic cadence of getting together. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I'm uh, having my executive team offsite here in New York uh, next week, I think, and it has been incredibly valuable to get back together in person. I don't feel like it's necessary to get back um, every single day because you can kind of use those opportunities again. You know deepen the relationships, establish more trust, but also make a bunch of decisions that are easier in a kind of real-time environment. But most day-to-day -day work doesn't require that. And the ability right. for people to be more comfortable while they're going in and executing against those decisions is just such a huge advantage. There's no way we would give it up. Yeah, you mentioned uh, that your conversation also talked about the huge amount of interns that are coming into the banking space that typically do benefit from that FaceTime. And that relates to another question uh, that we're getting, and that is, are remote hybrid workers at greater risk for career de development and advancement compared to those who are or choose to be in the office? And then there's kind of a nuance there as well between what I asked you earlier, hybrid and remote first. Do some people at, are some people at an advantage versus others? Yeah, I don't. So in practice, I haven't seen many companies be hybrid in the sense that most people talked about. You know, I think it's there's an extrapolation from the previous experience into the future, but so far that hasn't really materialized. There are people who do come into the office. So uh, in New York, I think there's more employees even in the in the tech industry where they don't have to, but they're coming to the office because their apartment is small or because <laughs> you know there's not enough room in their house for both their spouse and and them to do video calls at the same time. So that's really a question of space. They're not coming in in, in order to to collaborate. I think the question is really good though you know is it going to diminish opportunities yeah. if people stay at home so far it hasn't right because we now we're you know two plus years into this and people have been promoted people have been hired people have you know companies have done reorgs and and all that and it hasn't really made a difference i think it'll be um difficult for a, an employer to kind of make that uh a requirement for career advancement because it, it's just the same thing as demanding people come in nine to five monday to friday if there's an option they'll take the other option Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older. Like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Do you think that the skill set that employers are looking for uh, from their workers is changing. For example, in a remote work strategy or, or hybrid, the importance of writing maybe rises to the top, right? Because you're communicating much more on Slack, on email. Mm -hmm. uh, how, what's, your, what's your advice 
for some of those people that are getting into the workforce right now, or employers even, what should they be looking for? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting question. And the, the heart of it, certainly from our perspective at, at Slack, is drawing a bigger distinction than we used to between synchronous work, so like you know, having a meeting or a phone call discussion, and asynchronous. Uh, you know, we're both collaborating on this document, but I'm uh, doing it over the course of many hours in the afternoon, and you're looking at it tomorrow morning. That is a really important distinction. And asynchronous work, I think, does rely more on, um, uh, on written communication, but, you know, Slack and, and many other companies have been kind of diving in there with features that support the kind of asynchronous work, but with the richness and, and kind of full emotional texture of video. So we have a feature called Clips, and people do that to, you know, rather than have the daily stand-up meeting at 9 a.m., everyone has to be there mm -hmm. 9 to 9.15. It's like I record mine at 8.50, and I watch yours at 10.17, and it's a lot more convenient. You still get the video. On the other hand, um, trying to replace the kind of spontaneity and serendipity of in-office communication, we launched this feature called Huddles, which is a lot like a phone call. It's, it's audio only, but it doesn't necessarily start or stop, and people can drop mm. in and leave. And that's been the fastest adopted feature in the history of Slack. It's been a, a huge success. There's millions of people using that every week. So I think there's a, a, a big opportunity for us, but also for many other players in, in the tech space to kind of fill the, the tool set um, with a richer set that are more appropriate for the way people are working today. That's so interesting. Huddle sounds kind of like an enterprise uh, clubhouse of sorts. What have you learned from Huddle and are people actually using it? Is that really replicating that spontaneous interaction that you get in person? I think it is, uh, you know, typically on smaller teams. If you if you work with like a group of five or eight people, let's say you're you do uh, online ad, ad buying for your e-commerce company or something like that, and you're just kind of in constant communication all day, people will leave it open. The other use case is because it feels a little bit less heavy than a call. Uh, people are more, um, and maybe it's the name huddle. People are are more willing to step into it, and that makes a real difference because if all you have is this hammer of thirty minute. Zoom calls, then everything looks like a nail. And if mm -hmm. you and I need to have a conversation, it's like, okay, well, the next time we can do it is Tuesday at 1130. Um, and if you schedule a 30 minute meeting, people are going to use 30 minutes. Sometimes it's a, a 90 second conversation that you want to have yeah. now. And the difference is, is really dramatic in how fast that like increases the pace of work. Right. Um, I, I really love this question that we're getting from another anonymous audience member. Um, to your point, you can have these sort of quick conversations, but when you're on a Zoom meeting, uh, this person asked, can we agree that you should have to turn on your camera if you're on Zoom? Do you need to feel that pressure, Stuart, to turn it on <laughs> if everyone else has their camera on? The sociology of this is, is really fascinating because there's definitely like there's a lot of tolerance for people turning the camera off mid-meeting um, you know, for just a moment. Maybe their kid came into the room or something or they're eating and they don't want to watch you chew. We actually kind of, this wasn't a policy or a decision, but we kind of stumbled into this practice, which I think is really interesting and valuable, where if there's a document or a presentation or something like that to read, everyone turns their camera off, reads it, and then when they're finished, they turn their camera on. So you can just glance at the hmm. screen at any point to see you know, how many people are done. And that's so much more effective than the 15 minutes of the top of the meeting where someone's reading slides. I mean, that at a personal level, I just can't stand it. But, um, <laughs> but the use of camera off and on can like signal more than, than just like, are we going to do this call uh, while looking at each other's faces? 
Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of a delicate delicate thing uh, in the hybrid work, work environment. Um, I do want to talk about this data that you guys have been collecting for some time. I've talked to your chief people officer in the past as well, uh, who's done a lot of great work here. Uh, so the latest Slack Future Forum, the latest Pulse survey. What were some of the key findings there? Well, I mentioned them uh, up at the top. It's really the the desire for flexibility. There's also an interesting point about. Um, the uh, kind of job satisfaction of people who are in positions where they are required to go back to the office um, for for office workers, and the the levels of dissatisfaction are nearly twice as high mm-hmm. in that case. But I think the biggest one is the ninety plus percent of people who um, who want flexibility in time, and, and that's uh, it's so valuable. And uh, you know, for me personally. We have an 11-month-old, so it's kind of like half-ish of the of the pandemic. We had this baby, mm-hmm. and there was no like, oh, I gotta get the six-eight train uh, to get home yeah. by seven before the kid goes to sleep. Um, and I wouldn't trade that for anything. I'm with you. I also I have a seven month old, so had the baby at the end of the pandemic and sort of it is a game changer, right, especially for parents. And you guys have done a lot of good work as well at getting more diversity, more representation in the hybrid work model. How do you do that? Give us some sort of concrete examples. Well, I mean, there's, I guess there's two. One is um, you can hire anywhere. And there's lots of, uh, you know, be- before we had, I think, 15 offices in nine or 10 countries. Um, we still have several of those offices, but we're no longer constrained to hiring in those geographic regions. So in the U.S., it was um, San Francisco and New York. And there were you know, a couple people in Boston. We had just opened a very small Chicago office. But now we're hiring all over the place, in Atlanta, in St. Louis, uh, throughout like the Great Lakes states, throughout um, the Southwest, and Phoenix, and in Texas. And um, you know, that just opens you up to a much more diverse works, workforce broadly. The other one is um, people are, are kind of on a slightly more even footing. And there's, there's some mixed feedback um, from people who are in groups that are t- traditionally underrepresented in tech. Um, but I think net, it's a big advantage to not have to come into the office, to not have to um, you know, kind of get the, the microaggressions and, and the, the parts of the culture that don't really work for people when they're physically in the office. So it is like a little bit of a cognitive load that, that comes off, um, right. and people end up happier with their jobs. Yeah. Um, Stuart, so I know that your company in particular, others like Dropbox I can think of, have really made this, have thought it out and created this strategy. But I have become a little bit more skeptical um, that of companies that say they want to do remote work or a hybrid workforce and don't really have that strategy laid out. And this hits on another question that we got in from a viewer. And here she asks, are we defining remote and hybrid work the same? Are companies working remotely until they can return to the office? So is it a good talking point for now? Um, Are they sort of saying they're embracing, especially when we talk about things like the talent war, just to kind of go back on it when it is more acceptable to go to the office? Yeah, I think there's definitely some wishful thinking in the sense that, like, we're just not going to think about this and assume that everything's going to go back to the way it was. You know, at this point, it's clear that it's not happening. If this was like a one week event in March of 2020, then obviously people wouldn't have broken any of their habits. If it's six months, you know, maybe that starts to change. If it's a year, two years, certainly everyone would agree if this goes on for 20 years, we're not just going to go back to the way things are. So I think the disagreement is like, where is that? Um, threshold where, where like the, the habits are, are now deeply ingrained. I think we're well past that. So anyone who's kind of putting off decision making at 
this point, years into the pandemic for how we're, we're going to work, right. uh, is, is going to suffer as a result. And, and it's not just the strategy. It's like the investment that you make in, in training people and how to become more effective communicators. It is kind of mind boggling. Uh, to me, how little we invest, and it would include us in that in the category. We do more and more and more, um, but how little people invest in uh, training people to be more mm-hmm. effective communicators, to have more effective meetings, to make better use of these tools. Well, that's what people are doing all day. Yeah. Okay. I like this idea of training, and we've talked a lot on the employee side of this. But here's another great questions from another great question from Opinder. She asks, what are the skills that managers need to effectively manage a remote slash hybrid workforce? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think that a lot of managers' um, job satisfaction has plummeted over this period. They're Mm -hmm. in a much uh, more difficult position, kind of stuck, uh, especially people in in middle management. I don't mean that in a disparaging way. I just mean like frontline managers and and directors who are responsible for these groups. They have all of these new challenges that didn't exist before. And the, the fact that people are working from home means that there's a little bit more of a blend of, of work and life. There's obviously a lot of stress. There was a lot of you know, illness. There was financial consequences. So they're having to be kind of um, almost social workers or, or uh, counselors. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the skills, I think, are really uh, uh, much more on that axis of what we sometimes used to call soft skills, um, and those become more and more important for, for managers. And again, another area where we could truly invest in, in training and support. Um, and we've definitely started to do that. We've seen other companies starting to do that, but there's much more that we could do to better support those managers. It's mm-hmm. a great answer. Stuart, as we only have a few minutes left, maybe just a big picture question. Where do you think we are five years from now? How many companies are truly hyb- have true hybrid workforces or are remote first? Yeah, I, th- I think it's going to um, vary not just by company and region, but also kind of by department. As you know, my wife is the CEO of Away, the travel brand. Uh, their product team, in contrast to Slack's product team, which is like kind of all digital software making people, mm-hmm. um, if you're designing luggage, it's tough to do that without the other people in the room and evaluating the products. You know, you make prototypes. Same thing is true in architecture. Same thing is obviously true in like you know TV or movie production. So there are groups of people who, in order to do their work, must be together some of the time or, or most of the time. Um, and I think we will see more, not a hybrid in the sense of like strict remote, strict in office, and now we're going to like 50-50 them, but um, more per industry and, and per function kind of variance in how people work together. That was Stuart Butterfield, co-founder and CEO of Slack. He joined us at CNBC's work live stream on April 27th, 2022. The keynote is produced by the CNBC events team. If you enjoyed this conversation, please share with your friends. You can visit CNBCEvents.com to learn about upcoming events and how you can join us. And we'd love to see you there. I'm Tyler Matheson. Thanks for listening. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.